0: Section 2 of Appreciations with an Essay on Style. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Appreciations by Walter Pater. Section 2. Style. Part two an acute philosophical writer the late dean mansell a writer whose works illustrate the literary beauty there may be in closeness and with obvious repression or economy of a fine rhetorical gift wrote a book of fascinating precision in a very obscure subject to show that all the technical laws of logic are but means of securing in each and all of its apprehensions the unity, the strict identity with itself of the apprehending mind. All the laws of good writing aim at a similar unity or identity of the mind in all the processes by which the word is associated to its import. The term is right and has its essential beauty when it becomes, in a manner, what it signifies, as with the names of simple sensations. To give the phrase, the sentence, the structural member, the entire composition, song, or essay, a similar unity with its subject and with itself. Style is in the right way when it tends towards that. All depends upon the original unity, the vital wholeness and identity of the initiatory apprehension or view so much is true of all art which therefore requires always its logic its comprehensive reason insight foresight retrospect in simultaneous action true most of all of the literary art as being of all the arts most closely cognate to the abstract intelligence such logical coherency may be evidenced not merely in the lines of composition as a whole but in the choice of a single word while it by no means interferes with but may even prescribe much variety in the building of the sentence for instance or in the manner argumentative descriptive discursive of this or that part or member of the entire design the blithe crisp sentence decisive as a child's expression of its needs may alternate with the long-contending, victoriously intricate sentence—the sentence born with the integrity of a single word, relieving the sort of sentence in which, if you look closely, you can see much contrivance, much adjustment, to bring a highly qualified matter into compass at one view. For the literary architecture, if it is to be rich and expressive, involves not only foresight of the end in the beginning but also development or growth of design in the process of execution with many irregularities surprises and afterthoughts the contingent as well as the necessary being subsumed under the unity of the whole as truly to the lack of such architectural design of a single almost visual image vigorously informing an entire perhaps very intricate composition which shall be austere ornate argumentative fanciful yet true from first to last to that vision within may be attributed those weaknesses of conscious or unconscious repetition of word phrase motive or member of the whole matter indicating as flaubert was aware an original structure in thought not organically complete. With such foresight, the actual conclusion will most often get itself written out of hand before, in the more obvious sense, the work is finished. With some strong and leading sense of the world, the tight hold of which secures true composition and not mere loose accretion, the literary artist i suppose goes on considerately setting joint to joint sustained by yet restraining the productive ardour retracing the negligences of his first sketch repeating his steps only that he may give the reader a sense of secure and restful progress readjusting mere assonances even that they may soothe the reader or at least not interrupt him on his way. And then, somewhere before the end comes, is burdened, inspired with his conclusion, and betimes delivered of it, leaving off, not in weariness and because he finds himself at an end, but in all the freshness of volition. His work, now structurally complete with all the accumulating effect of secondary shades of meaning he finishes the whole up to the just proportion of that antepenultimate conclusion and all becomes expressive the house he has built is rather a body he has informed and so it happens to its greater credit that the better interest even of a narrative to be recounted a story to be told will often be in its second reading and though there are instances of great writers who have been no artists an unconscious tact sometimes directing work in which we may detect very pleasurably many of the effects of conscious art yet one of the greatest pleasures of really good prose literature is in the critical tracing out of that conscious artistic structure and the pervading sense of it, as we read, yet of poetic literature, too, for, in truth, the kind of constructive intelligence here supposed is one of the forms of the imagination. That is the special function of mind in style. Mind and soul, hard to ascertain philosophically, the distinction is real enough practically, for they often interfere are sometimes in conflict with each other. Blake, in the last century, is an instance of preponderating soul, embarrassed, at a loss, in an era of preponderating mind, as a quality of style. At all events, soul is a fact. In certain writers, the way they have of absorbing language, of attracting it into the peculiar spirit they are of, with a subtlety which makes the actual result seem like some inexplicable inspiration. By mind, the literary artist reaches us, through static and objective indications of design in his work, legible to all. By soul, he reaches us, somewhat capriciously perhaps, one and not another, through vagrant sympathy and a kind of immediate contact mind we cannot choose but approve where we recognize it soul may repel us not because we misunderstand it the way in which theological interests sometimes avail themselves of language is perhaps the best illustration of the force i mean to indicate generally in literature by the word soul ardent religious persuasion may exist may make its way without finding any equivalent heat in language or again it may enkindle words to various degrees and when it really takes hold of them doubles its force religious history presents many remarkable instances in which through no mere phrase-worship an unconscious literary tact has for the sensitive laid open a privileged pathway from one to another the altar fire people say has touched those lips the vulgate the english bible the english prayer book the writings of swedenborg the tracts for the times there we have instances of widely different and largely diffused phases of religious feeling in operation as soul in style BUT SOMETHING OF THE SAME KIND ACTS WITH SIMILAR POWER IN CERTAIN WRITERS OF QUITE OTHER THAN THEOLOGICAL LITERATURE, ON BEHALF OF SOME WHOLLY PERSONAL AND PECULIAR SENSE OF THEIRS. MOST EASILY ILLUSTRATED BY THEOLOGICAL LITERATURE, THIS QUALITY LENDS TO PROFANE WRITERS A KIND OF RELIGIOUS INFLUENCE. AT THEIR BEST, THESE WRITERS BECOME, AS WE SAY, SOMETIMES PROPHETS such character depending on the effect not merely of their matter but of their matter as allied to in electric affinity with peculiar form and working in all cases by an immediate sympathetic contact on which account it is that it may be called soul as opposed to mind in style and this too is a faculty of choosing and rejecting what is congruous or otherwise with a drift towards unity unity of atmosphere here as there of design soul securing color or perfume might we say as mind secures form the latter being essentially finite the former vague or infinite as the influence of a living person is practically infinite there are some to whom nothing has any real interest or real meaning except as operative in a given person and it is they who best appreciate the quality of soul in literary art they seem to know a person in a book and make way by intuition yet although they thus enjoy the completeness of a personal information it is still a characteristic of soul in this sense of the word that it does but suggest what can never be uttered not as being different from or more obscure than what actually gets said but as containing that plenary substance of which there is only one phase or facet in what is there expressed if all high things have their martyrs gustave flaubert might perhaps rank as the martyr of literary style. In his printed correspondence, a curious series of letters, written in his twenty-fifth year, records what seems to have been his one other passion, a series of letters which, with its fine casuistries, its firmly repressed anguish, its tone of harmonious grey, and the sense of disillusion in which the whole matter ends, might have been, A few slight changes supposed, one of his own fictions. Writing to Madame X, certainly he does display by taking thought, mainly by constant and delicate pondering, as in his love for literature, a heart really moved, but still more, and as the pledge of that emotion, a loyalty to his work. Madame X, too is a literary artist, and the best gifts he can send her are precepts of perfection in art, counsels for the effectual pursuit of that better love. In his love-letters, it is the pains and pleasures of art he insists on, its solaces. He communicates secrets, reproves, encourages, with a view to that, whether the lady was dissatisfied with such divided or indirect service the reader is not enabled to see but sees that on flaubert's part at least a living person could be no rival of what was from first to last his leading passion a somewhat solitary and exclusive one i must scold you he writes for one thing which shocks scandalizes me the small concern namely you show for art just now as regards glory be it so there i approve but for art the one thing in life that is good and real can you compare with it an earthly love prefer the adoration of a relative beauty to the cultus of the true beauty Well. I tell you the truth, that is the one thing good in me, the one thing I have to me estimable. For yourself, you blend with the beautiful a heap of alien things, the useful, the agreeable, what not? The only way not to be unhappy is to shut yourself up in art and count everything else as nothing. Pride takes the place of all beside when it is established on a large basis. Work god wills it that it seems to me is clear i am reading over again the aeneid certain verses of which i repeat to myself to satiety there are phrases there which stay in one's head by which i find myself beset as with those musical airs which are for ever returning and cause you pain you love them so much i observe that i no longer laugh much and am no longer depressed i am ripe you talk of my serenity and envy me it may well surprise you sick irritated the prey a thousand times a day of cruel pain i continue my labour like a true working-man who with sleeves turned up in the sweat of his brow beats away at his anvil never troubling himself whether it rains or blows for hail or thunder i was not like that formerly the change has taken place naturally though my will has counted for something in the matter those who write in good style are sometimes accused of a neglect of ideas and of the moral end as if the end of the physician were something else than healing of the painter than painting as if the end of art were not before all else the beautiful what then did flaubert understand by beauty in the art he pursued with so much fervour with so much self-command let us hear a sympathetic commentator possessed of an absolute belief that there exists but one way of expressing one thing one word to call it by one adjective to qualify one verb to animate it he gave himself to superhuman labor for the discovery in every phrase of that word that verb that epithet in this way he believed in some mysterious harmony of expression and when a true word seemed to him to lack euphony still went on seeking another with invincible patience certain that he had not yet got hold of the unique word a thousand preoccupations would beset him at the same moment always with this desperate certitude fixed in his spirit among all the expressions in the world all forms and turns of expression there is but one one form one mode to express what i want to say the one word for the one thing the one thought amid the multitude of words terms that might just do the problem of style was there the unique word phrase sentence paragraph essay or song absolutely proper to the single mental presentation or vision within in that perfect justice over and above the many contingent and removable beauties with which beautiful style may charm us but which it can exist without independent of them yet dexterously availing itself of them omnipresent in good work in function at every point from single epithets to the rhythm of a whole book lay the specific indispensable very intellectual beauty of literature the possibility of which constitutes it a fine art one seems to detect the influence of a philosophic idea there the idea of a natural economy of some pre-existent adaptation between a relative somewhere in the world of thought and its correlative somewhere in the world of language both alike rather somewhere in the mind of the artist desiderative expectant inventive meeting each other with the readiness of soul and body reunited in blake's rapturous design and in fact flaubert was fond of giving his theory philosophical expression there are no beautiful thoughts he would say without beautiful forms and conversely as it is impossible to extract from a physical body the qualities which really constitute it colour extension and the like without reducing it to a hollow abstraction in a word without destroying it Just so it is impossible to detach the form from the idea, for the idea only exists by virtue of the form. All the recognized flowers, the removable ornaments of literature, including harmony and ease in reading aloud, very carefully considered by him, counted certainly, for these two are part of the actual value of what one says but still after all with flaubert the search the unwearied research was not for the smooth or winsome or forcible word as such as with false ciceronians but quite simply and honestly for the word's adjustment to its meaning the first condition of this must be of course to know yourself to have ascertained your own sense exactly then if we suppose an artist he says to the reader i want you to see precisely what i see into the mind sensitive to form a flood of random sounds colors incidents is ever penetrating from the world without to become by sympathetic selection a part of its very structure and in turn the visible vesture and expression of that other world it sees so steadily within, nay, already with a partial conformity thereto, to be refined, enlarged, corrected at a hundred points. And it is just there, just at those doubtful points, that the function of style, as tact or taste, intervenes the unique term will come more quickly to one than another at one time than another according also to the kind of matter in question quickness and slowness ease and closeness alike have nothing to do with the artistic character of the true word found at last as there is a charm of ease so there is also a special charm in the signs of discovery of effort and contention towards a due end as so often with flaubert himself in the style which has been pliant as only obstinate durable metal can be to the inherent perplexities and recusancy of a certain difficult thought if flaubert had not told us perhaps we should never have guessed how tardy and painful his own procedure really was and after reading his confession may think that his almost endless hesitation had much to do with diseased nerves often perhaps the felicity supposed will be the product of a happier a more exuberant nature than flaubert's aggravated certainly by a morbid physical condition that anxiety in seeking the phrase which gathered all the other small ennuis of a really quiet existence into a kind of battle was connected with his lifelong contention against facile poetry facile art art facile and flimsy and what constitutes the true artist is not the slowness or the quickness of the process but the absolute success of the result as with those labourers in the parable the prize is independent of the mere length of the actual day's work. You talk, he writes, odd trying lover to Madame X, you talk of the exclusiveness of my literary tastes. That might have enabled you to divine what kind of a person I am in the matter of love. I grow so hard to please as a literary artist that I am driven to despair. I shall end by not writing another line happy he cries in a moment of discouragement at that patient labour which for him certainly was the condition of a great success happy those who have no doubts of themselves who lengthen out as the pen runs on all that flows forth from their brains as for me i hesitate i disappoint myself turn round upon myself in despite my taste is augmented in proportion as my natural vigor decreases and i afflict my soul over some dubious word out of all proportion to the pleasure i get from a whole page of good writing one would have to live two centuries to attain a true idea of any matter whatever what buffon said is a big blasphemy genius is not long-continued patience Still, there is some truth in the statement, and more than people think, especially as regards our own day. Art, 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 bitter deception, phantom that glows with light only to lead one on to destruction. Again. I am growing so peevish about my writing. I am like a man whose ear is true but who plays falsely on the violin. His fingers refuse to reproduce precisely those sounds of which he has the inward sense. Then the tears come rolling down from the poor scraper's eyes and the bow falls from his hand. Coming slowly or quickly, when it comes, as it came with so much labor of mind but also with so much lustre, to gustave flaubert this discovery of the word will be like all artistic success and felicity incapable of strict analysis effect of an intuitive condition of mind it must be recognized by like intuition on the part of the reader and a sort of immediate sense in every one of those masterly sentences of flaubert there was below all mere contrivance, shaping, and afterthought, by some happy instantaneous concourse of the various faculties of the mind with each other, the exact apprehension of what was needed to carry the meaning, and that it fits with absolute justice will be a judgment of immediate sense in the appreciative reader. We all feel this in what may be called inspired translation. Well, all language involves translation from inward to outward. In literature, as in all forms of art, there are the absolute and the merely relative or accessory beauties. And precisely in that exact proportion of the term to its purpose is the absolute beauty of style, prose, or verse. All the good qualities, the beauties, of verse also are such. ONLY AS PRECISE EXPRESSION. IN THE HIGHEST AS IN THE LOWLIEST LITERATURE, THEN, THE ONE INDISPENSABLE BEAUTY IS, AFTER ALL, TRUTH. TRUTH TO BEAR FACT IN THE LATTER, AS TO SOME PERSONAL SENSE OF FACT, DIVERTED SOMEWHAT FROM MEN'S ORDINARY SENSE OF IT IN THE FORMER. TRUTH THERE AS ACCURACY, TRUTH HERE AS EXPRESSION. That finest and most intimate form of truth, the vraie vérité, and what an eclectic principle this really is, employing for its one sole purpose, that absolute accordance of expression to idea, all other literary beauties and excellences whatever, how many kinds of style it covers, explains, justifies, and at the same time safeguards. Scott's facility, flaubert's deeply pondered evocation of the phrase are equally good art say what you have to say what you have a will to say in the simplest the most direct and exact manner possible with no surplusage. there is the justification of the sentence so fortunately born entire smooth and round that it needs no punctuation and also that is the point, of the most elaborate period, if it be right in its elaboration. Here is the office of ornament, here also the purpose of restraint in ornament. As the exponent of truth, that austerity, the beauty, the function of which in literature Flaubert understood so well, becomes not... The correctness or purism of the mere scholar, but a security against the Otios, a jealous exclusion of what does not really tell towards the pursuit of relief of life and vigour in the portraiture of one's sense. License again, the making free with rule, if it be indeed, as people fancy, a habit of genius flinging aside or transforming all that opposes the liberty of beautiful production will be but faith to one's own meaning the seeming baldness of le rouge et le noir is nothing in itself the wild ornament of les miserables is nothing in itself and the restraint of flaubert amid a real natural opulence only redoubled beauty THE PHRASE SO LARGE AND SO PRECISE AT THE SAME TIME, HARD AS BRONZE, IN SERVICE TO THE MORE PERFECT ADAPTATION OF WORDS TO THEIR MATTER, AFTERTHOUGHTS, RETOUCHINGS, FINISH, WILL BE OF PROFIT, ONLY SO FAR AS THEY TOO REALLY SERVE TO BRING OUT THE ORIGINAL, INITIATIVE, GENERATIVE SENSE IN THEM. IN THIS WAY, ACCORDING TO THE WELL-KNOWN SAYING, the style is the man, complex or simple, in his individuality, his plenary sense of what he really has to say, his sense of the world. All cautions regarding style arising out of so many natural scruples as to the medium through which alone he can expose that inward sense of things, the purity of this medium, its laws or tricks of refraction nothing is to be left there which might give conveyance to any matter save that style in all its varieties reserved or opulent terse abundant musical stimulant academic so long as each is really characteristic or expressive finds thus its justification the sumptuous good taste of cicero being as truly the man himself and not another justified yet insured inalienably to him thereby as would have been his portrait by raphael in full consular splendour on his ivory chair a relegation you may say perhaps a relegation of style to the subjectivity the mere caprice of the individual which must soon transform it into mannerism not so since there is under the conditions supposed for those elements of the man for every lineament of the vision within the one word the one acceptable word recognizable by the sensitive by others who have intelligence in the matter as absolutely as ever anything can be in the evanescent and delicate region of human language the style the manner would be the man not in his unreasoned and really uncharacteristic caprices involuntary or affected but in absolutely sincere apprehension of what is most real to him but let us hear our french guide again styles says flaubert's commentator styles as so many peculiar molds each of which bears the mark of a particular writer who is to pour into it the whole content of his ideas were no part of his theory what he believed in was style that is to say a certain absolute and unique manner of expressing a thing in all its intensity and color for him the form was the work itself as in living creatures the blood nourishing the body determines its very contour and external aspect just so to his mind the matter the basis in a work of art imposed necessarily the unique the just expression the measure the rhythm the form in all its characteristics if the style be the man in all the colour and intensity of a veritable apprehension it will be in a real sense impersonal i said thinking of books like victor hugo's les miserables that prose literature was the characteristic art of the nineteenth century as others thinking of its triumphs since the youth of bach have assigned that place to music music and prose literature are in one sense the opposite terms of art the art of literature presenting to the imagination through the intelligence a range of interests as free and various as those which music presents to it through sense and certainly the tendency of what has been here said is to bring literature to under those conditions by conformity to which music takes rank as the typically perfect art if music be the ideal of all art whatever precisely because in music it is impossible to distinguish the form from the substance or matter the subject from the expression then literature by finding its specific excellence in the absolute correspondence of the term to its import will be but fulfilling the condition of all artistic quality in things everywhere of all good art good art but not necessarily great art the distinction between great art and good art depending immediately as regards literature at all events not on its form but on the matter. Thackeray's Esmond surely is greater art than Vanity Fair by the greater dignity of its interests. It is on the quality of the matter it informs or controls, its compass, its variety, its alliance to great ends, or the depth of the note of revolt, or the largeness of hope in it, that the greatness of literary art depends, as the Divine Comedy paradise lost les miserables the english bible are great art given the conditions i have tried to explain as constituting good art then if it be devoted further to the increase of men's happiness to the redemption of the oppressed or the enlargement of our sympathies with each other or to such presentment of new or old truth about ourselves and our relation to the world as may ennoble and fortify us in our sojourn here or immediately as with dante to the glory of god it will be also great art if over and above those qualities i summed up as mind and soul that colour and mystic perfume and that reasonable structure It has something of the soul of humanity in it, and finds its logical, its architectural place in the great structure of human life. End of section two. End of Style.